Welcome, welcome, welcome to Veritas. Um, yeah, I'm glad, uh, dude, the squeakiness, it just keeps going. Uh, I'm glad that you guys are all here. Uh, maybe it's first time, maybe it's 50th time. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm excited that you guys are here. Uh, if you guys have not met me before, uh, my name is Justin. Thank you, guys. I've met you that are waving at me. Um, but if you haven't, my name is Justin. I have been on staff with Veritas for almost three years. Um, yeah, this is my first time talking this semester, so if you're, if you're new to Veritas this semester or, um, yeah, this might be the first time uh, you have heard me speak. Um, I want to start off our night with a question. It's a simple question, and that question is, have you ever forgotten something? Simple question, right? Have you ever forgotten something? Like maybe uh, a couple weeks ago after Veritas when I was behind the, the fall retreat sign-up table, and, and I saw a guy walking up, and I was like, hey, Joe, come sign up for fall retreat. And so he proceeds to sign up, and then I look on the little screen, and it says, congratulations, blank. Did not say Joe. <laughs> Forgot his name, and I had learned it the week before. Um, needless to say, I kind of yelled at him for not correcting me, because if I say your name wrong, you got to correct me. Um, or the time my freshman year in college when I uh, forgot the day and time of my first ever final, and I receive an email from my professor saying, hey, grades will be out tonight or tomorrow, yeah, whoops, forgot that one. Followed up with a quick email to, to the professor, uh, apologizing, explaining, begging. Uh, got to take my final. It was okay. Um, or, you know, some of you uh, are drinking coffee. You know, you got the coffee from the little uh, coffee pot carafe out there. Well, uh, fun fact is that we brew the coffee, and so one night... Um, I was in charge of, of brewing coffee for Veritas, and, and what I forgot was is that when they clean the coffee pots, they leave the little, the little valve, the little spigot thing, they leave it open so that like, the, the water will drip out. Well, I forgot that, and so I started the coffee pot, walked away, come back to this huge mess. Coffee is all over the countertops, it's all over the floor, it took longer to clean up than it does to make a pot of coffee. Um, yeah, so needless to say, all of us here could think of, of times or ways that we have, we have forgotten something. We've forgotten instructions. We've forgotten names or homework assignments or coffee on the top of our car. You know, there's so many stories of, of things and ways that we have forgotten stuff. And, and tonight, we are, we're nearing the end of our series in the book of Acts. And, and I'm going to start, break up the night, I'm going to start by summarizing where Paul is at, what he is doing in his life. And, and then we're going to discuss two reminders that hopefully many of us have heard. Um, hopefully they won't be new but they're things that people like me can be easy to forget. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead and, and jump in. Uh, this week we pick up our story, and Paul is, he's actually in prison. He's in prison in a town called Caesarea. Um, and, and we've learned that up to this point, 
Paul was worshiping in in the temple in Jerusalem, and uh, while he was worshiping, things took a turn for the worse. Uh, A group of Jews that didn't like what Paul was teaching came into the temple, they they drug him out, and they started beating him. and, and this riot causes the Roman officials to come. They take Paul. They put him in prison. Um, and fast forward two years later, Paul is actually still in prison. Um, he's in prison. He's been, he's been jumping um, from, from governor to governor, uh, from case to case, defending himself, speaking about why he is innocent. Um, of the charges that are coming against him. And so the, the first Roman, Roman governor that we meet is a, a guy by the name of Portius Festus. Um, Festus brought Paul in before him. He listened to the accusations. He listened to Paul's defense. And um, after hearing it, he comes to the conclusion that he can't find anything that Paul is doing wrong besides a few religious disputes. Um, in other words, there's, there's no offenses against Paul that merit um, charges from the Roman government. Um, so for advice, Festus, he, he reaches out to a Jewish king who happened to be um, coming to Caesarea and... Uh, he came, this Jewish king comes to congratulate Festus on, on his new position, and Festus presents this case to him, and, and this Jewish king, um, King Agrippa, says, I want to hear, hear this case. I want to hear Paul um, for myself. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story tonight. Uh, if you brought your Bibles, uh, you can open up to Acts chapter 25. Um, we're going to be in Acts 25, verse 23 through 2011, or 23 through 27, I apologize, to start. Acts 25, verse 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Time out. Is that better? Yeah. How annoying was that? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. Take a drink of water here. Start from the top. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I want us to, to think back and, and see exactly what is going on here. See what we're reading, learn what we're reading. Um, 
who are the, who are the characters in play and the differences uh, between those characters. So on the one hand, we have Festus, we have King Agrippa, we have um, the other Roman officials, the higher people of the city. Um, and, and on the other hand, we have, we have Paul. And so an interesting side note is that uh, King Agrippa, this Agrippa guy, he is the son of King Agrippa I, which would make sense why he's King Agrippa II. And King Agrippa I is from Acts 12 and is actually the king that is in charge of having the Apostle James put to death and the Apostle Peter put in prison. Um, this, this King Agrippa that we're reading about is also the great-grandson of Herod the Great. And now Herod the Great was king when uh, Jesus was born, and he was actually the king that was fearful of Jesus and had um, all of the little boys under the age of two in, in Bethlehem killed so that he could try to um, get rid of Jesus so he wouldn't take over his throne. So <laughs> needless to say, it's a, it's a rough family tree, right? And, and this King Agrippa that we're talking about tonight, he's not much better. Um, and, and if we look back at verse 23, we look at the details given um, on Agrippa's entrance. It'll help us kind of visualize more the courtroom. Um, so in verse 23, we see, how, we see how King Agrippa, he entered with great pomp, um, or, or one might say great splendor. You could, at this time, expect the king to be wearing his, his majestic, his uh, purple robe. You could expect him to be wearing his gold crown, um, making this, this majestic, this fancy entrance. And, and alongside him is also his squad, right? He's got these rich, these powerful Roman officials, high-ranking military officers. He's got wealthy men, all of the city. They're following in behind him, making this grand entrance, you know, and based on everything that we read from right here in verse 23, this, this is the kind of guy that by looks, by appearance, by, by worldly standards, he kind of seems to have it all, right? He kind of seems to have everything going for him. He has power. He has prestige. He has wealth. You know, he has success. And now contrast him with Paul. You know, Paul walks in before all of these other people, and he is likely wearing a um, prisoner's tunic. He is in chains. Um, at this point, he's been in prison for two years, which he was thrown into after being beaten um, by the Jewish mob. Scholars actually say uh, at this point in Paul's life, it's believed that he traveled 25,000 miles by sea, and, and about seven to 8,000 miles um, by land. And to kind of put that in, in terms that we understand, uh, that's like just by traveling a land is like traveling from uh, Miami to Portland and back. Um, or it's like traveling from Columbia to St. Louis and back 28 times. You know, and this, <laughs> remember, this is the day and age that they're not cruising down 70 listening to a podcast or their favorite music with the windows down. No, these are hard miles. These are wear and tear miles. So we have the stage set, right? And, 
And, and we kick off this trial, this hearing with Agrippa and Festus and Paul. And, and it starts by Agrippa giving Paul permission. He gives Paul permission to speak for himself. And, and where Paul takes this is he decides to begin by telling his life story. And he, and he tells this life story in three phases. He tells it first as his life as a strict Pharisee. He tells his life then as a zealous persecutor. And then finally, he tells his life uh, as a commissioned apostle. And this is where we're going to pick it up. So we're going to go back to the text uh, in verse 19 and pick it up with Paul talking. Chapter 26, verse 19 says this. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. For to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles... I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. So, so if we pause here and, and we think what's happening, well, well, Paul shares his life story, and then he goes on to defend his missionary journey, defend what he's doing. But during this explanation, he gets cut off. Right? He gets cut off by Festus, and Festus shouting that Paul is a madman. You know, Festus interrupts him in the middle of his defense to tell them, to tell him, to tell Paul that he's out of his mind. Why, why, does, why does Festus do that? Well, I think if we look back at what Paul said right before that, um, it'll give us a good idea. So if we look back at verse 23, it says that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. You see, Festus and others of this day, they thought Paul was crazy because he was proclaiming that a man, Jesus, rose from the dead. It's, it's, it's not a metaphor to Paul. No, Paul says Jesus physically, bodily rose from the dead. And, and this is what is so difficult um, for them in Paul's day to grasp, to understand, to believe. Let's continue reading, um, pick up where we left off, verse 25. Paul's response to Festus is this. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. So, so how does Paul react? Well, he calmly collectively tells Festus that what he is speaking is the truth. 
And, and he even goes as far to look to and ask King Agrippa for confirmation if, if Agrippa believes the message he's telling him. And, and this, is, this is a big thing to, to understand. It's kind of like um, a reporter entering or interviewing a, uh, a major public figure, a political figure, asking for a black or white answer on a hot topic, cultural issue on TV. You know, so this is a big deal. And, and Paul follows it up with this. He, he goes on to share that he wishes that all who are in the courtroom, all that are listening to him, that they would be as he is that all of them there would be a believer in and a follower of Christ. After all these trials, years in prison, what Paul desires for, for these high figures of the day is that they would know the love and the grace and the mercy of God, just like Paul does. And now I want to, I want to kind of transition and I want to spend the rest of our time and I want us to look at two things that we can learn from Paul. I want us to look at two things we learned from his time in prison and his time on trial. And two reminders, maybe, um, things that we've heard before that aren't new, but, but like we started out, that are easy and simple to, to forget. Uh, the first thing that Paul reminds us is that true happiness does not come from the things of this world. True happiness does not come from the things of this world. Because if you remember back to, to setting the stage for this final trial, by all the worldly standards, um, by, by appearance and by visual, by looking at them, Paul, Paul has nothing. And, and those in the court, those listening to him, they have everything, right? King Agrippa had power and influence. He had wealth. He had success and, and he was surrounded by those that had wealth, those that had success, those that had influence. He, he had everything that we could think you could want based on appearance. And, and we can assume would probably look down on Paul and pity how little he has. But, but what we can't do is we can't forget what Paul said in verse 29. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. So what does Paul say? He says, I pray. I pray to God that you would be what I am. I pray that all of you would have what I have. Well, what is, what is he? What is Paul? What does he have? Well, the most important thing in Paul's life was his identity as a Christian, and it was his relationship with Jesus. You know, Paul puts it this way in, in Philippians 3, verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul counted everything in this world as loss in comparison to the worth of knowing the value of knowing Jesus. And that is why he can boldly proclaim and tell these kings, these rulers, that, that materialistically they have everything, but they lack a belief in Jesus, that, that he prays, that he wishes that they would be as he is. 
if, if you guys think about that, where, where are you at with that? Do you, do you believe what Paul believed? Do you believe that, that the things of this world, you know, the, the living it up, the college experience, the, the successful internship, the successful career, the, the relationship, maybe the comfort or the ease, do you believe like Paul believed that those are nothing compared to the worth of knowing Jesus? What about when, when you look at those that have more than you, like, like Paul would have seen King Agrippa? Do you, do you hope like Paul did that they, they would know Jesus, that they would have a relationship with God? Or do you envy them? When you see someone that has more than you, do you, does part of you want what they have? Do you want to be like them? Do you want um, to know what they know or have the things that they have? Or maybe you're the flip side of envy in your judgment. If you look at, at those that have more than you or those that are different than you, is, is part of you quick to judge them, to, to criticize them um, for having what you don't instead of wanting them to, to have a faith in Christ, to know Jesus? Now, I know, I know that this is, this is easier said than done, right? This is difficult. Um, those tangible things that we can see, they're, they're easy to be desired. They're easy to want. But, but Paul teaches, and he wants to remind us, for when we forget, in case we've forgotten, he wants to remind us that these things, whatever it is for you, that they are nothing in the comparison to knowing Christ. Having a relationship with Christ is more than all of those things. And he also wanted this for those believing this lie. He wanted this for them. The second thing um, that Paul doesn't want us to forget is, is that living faithfully as a Christian sometimes means choosing the difficult path in life. Sometimes hardships come our way because we have or, or we want a relationship with Jesus. You know, Paul, I think at this time, he probably could have thought to himself, what am, what am I doing? What, what have I gotten myself into? You know, I've only been trying to live faithful to God and it's gotten me in prison. It's gotten me standing here on trial after trial, trying to defend myself against all of these people. What am I doing? You know, but, but the important thing is that Paul knew, he knew that sometimes hardships and trials come into our life when we're simply trying to live faithfully. He knew that sometimes hardships and trials came into our life when we're simply trying to do God's will for our own life. And I, I think this seems, seems difficult because sometimes uh, we get the, this mindset or this thought that because we're a Christian or if or or when we become a Christian, that things are going to be easy, right? Things are going to be all happy, and all of our problems are going to go away. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard us talk about mission trip to Jamaica. Um, I, I love the trip. Uh, it's, I went on the, the winter break trip um, several times, and um, part of the trip is that every morning, um, part of the winter trip is that every morning, uh, a student on the trip will, will share their testimony. They will share their story of, you know, kind of 
pre and post Jesus or, or what my life has looked like, what my faith has looked like. Um, and my second year on the trip, uh, my junior year in college, they, they actually asked me to share my story. Um, and if I could summarize it for you right now, it would probably go a little something like this. Uh, before this trip last year, I, I partied, I smoked, I drank, and I wasn't happy. Um, I went on this trip, and I became a Christian. Uh, I made friendships with some of my best friends today, and the last year of my life has been all happiness, all ease, all flowers, the end. That's what, that's what it would have sounded like when I told it, because, because at the time, that's how I thought it was supposed to work. That's how I thought that your life was supposed to be when you became a Christian. I thought it was supposed to be easy and, and all happiness. But, but the reality is that when I look back, you know, at my life since I became a Christian, when I look back at the past, you know, five-ish years since that trip, you know, that's not the case at all. I can think of, you know, ways that my life has possibly been more difficult than it was before becoming a Christian. I can think of, you know, friendships I've lost. I can think of, of challenging conversations um, or controversial thoughts that I've had or been challenged by friends or by family. Um, I can think of, of the times that I've felt judgment for, for what I believe in, for, for saying that I'm a Christian, for saying that I work at a church. Um, and and I, I was really surprised by that. But, but I think by looking at Paul's writing, we, I shouldn't have been surprised, right? I, sh- I shouldn't have been surprised. Um, because if we actually look back in the early, earlier in the book of Acts, um, before Paul's imprisonment, we see that hardships, they didn't come as a surprise to Paul. Let's look at Acts 21. It's verses 10 through 13. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Did you guys hear that? You see, Paul, Paul knew he was told by a prophet that that hardship and trial awaited him on his journey to Jerusalem. And yet he continued because Paul knew something. He knew that being a Christian, it it wasn't about his own comfort. It wasn't about having an easy life. You see, no matter the difficulties or the challenges, no matter the hardships that life brought, Paul was ready. He was not only willing to be bound, but also to die for his faith in Jesus. And if, if you guys hear that, do you, do you agree with that statement? Like Paul's statement of not only willing to be bound, but also to die for his faith in Jesus? Are you, are you willing to experience hardships 
um, difficulties in, in your own life because of your faith? Do you have hardships or difficulties in your life because you're a Christian? Or, or maybe the question is, are you surprised um, by hardships in your own life? If you, if you were to think about the next year of college um, or the next year in life, what does it look like? What is your plan? Um, and, and will everything go according to plan? Will everything, you know, go the way that you expect it? Maybe, maybe not, you know? And, and I know that, that some of us here tonight, we're, we're in the midst of those trials. We're in the midst of those hardships right now. Um, I know from some of you, it's, it's loneliness and it's isolation. Um, because, you know, fighting to faithfully live out um, your belief in Christ means not indulging in, in the desires that culture tells us will make us happy. And sometimes that leaves us alone. Um, for some of you, it's, it's maybe disconnect or it's anger from, from friends or from family members because they don't agree with you or they don't support your faith in Jesus or, or they don't support the choices that come from that. I don't know, I don't know what it is for each of you, but I first want to, I want to empathize and I want to say that I know that it's hard. I've I've been through that stuff and, and I've experienced some of that myself and I know that it's really difficult to, to experience those trials and hardships because of your faith. Um, sometimes it, it even feels unbearable and, and feels like you can't hold it yourself. But um, as the music team comes back up, I also, I want to be one that empathizes but also encourages. I want to encourage you guys and, and to remind you guys to look at Paul as our example, as, as an example of what it looks like to cling to your faith in Jesus amidst the trials, amidst the hardship that comes in life. I want it to remind us and, and to help us not forget the truths that the Bible tells us, that the Bible teaches, the truth that, that Jesus is more. He's, he's more than what this world has to offer. He's more than those material things. And, and he's more than the trials that come our way, the difficulties, the hardships that we're going to experience in our life. Jesus is more, guys. He's more, and Paul understands that, and he really wants us to understand that. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for this time that we get to, to hear your word, to spend time understanding your word. Jesus, I pray um, as some of us leave here tonight that we can cling to your truth, that we can cling to our hope and, and our belief that you, Jesus, you are more. God, I pray for those of us here tonight that maybe aren't there don't know that you are more. We don't believe that. God, I pray that they would have a relationship with you like I do. I pray that they would know you as I do and come to be as I am and what I am as a Christian, a believer in Jesus and what he has done for us. God, I pray that you be with us this week. Help us to live faithfully amidst everything in our lives and to love and serve you above all else. 
God, we love you and we pray all this in your name.